Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of I'm Not Sure What. It's a crossover. We're doing a, a thing, reaching across the country, arms open wide. We're sitting down tonight as a, a joint venture to prove that, that Ontario and Alberta don't have to be fighting always. We can be besties. Uh, so the, we're doing a, a bit of a joint venture tonight with The Breakdown and the 905er podcast, which is, I'm told, operating out of a 416 area code. I could be wrong, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it over to the host of that to correct everything I just said. Well, yeah, thank you, Nate, very much. And no, we, we're very much not in the 416 uh, because that that would just be a scandal unto itself that I don't think we could ever live down. No, we're very much, uh, Roland uh, Tanner and myself uh, are very much uh, alive and well in the 905 area code, which is uh, for those in uh, in Alberta who are wondering what the heck's a 905er, we are the area code surrounding Toronto that is in the midst of reshaping itself into a, a more dynamic uh, part of the country to live in. And Roland and I are part of that trying to, that definition of what exactly is the 905 uh, region going to turn into? You know what? Uh, it's actually, uh, sorry, Alberta listeners, but it's actually the 905 that's pretty much made you, uh, given you a, a liberal federal government for the last however long. It's down to us. I'm sorry. It's uh, very much that suburban area around Toronto that, uh, that just votes. Uh, well, how it votes one way or the other, either can PC at a provincial level or liberal or a federal level in recent history, has swung the election one way or the other. So that, that's kind of why we, we started. So you're like the Calgary of Ontario then? Yeah. That, how, that, how, could, be, that could be a new motto. <laughs> <laughs> in all kinds of ways that, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's and, and we're also, I don't know if this applies to Calgary, but it certainly applies to the Manor 5. It's a, it's a region that doesn't get into news much. It's that the term 905er is kind of a slur that, that, People from Toronto say so, you know, all these darn 905ers coming into our city and, and clogging up the bars. You know, it's a kind of uh, wasteland of suburban boringness is what is is the myth. And we, we kind of set up the post uh, up the podcast to try and counter that a bit. Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to lie, that element does exist. Uh, but there's also some really vibrant cities. There's huge uh, diversity in terms of the population, in terms of where it comes from, in terms of new immigrants, in terms of everything. And about 4 million people, um, which is, you know, let's face it, bigger than quite a few provinces in terms of population, um, living in this place that basically gets ignored by Toronto media just as much as, say, Western Canada often gets ignored by Toronto media. So we, we kind of felt it was important to try and uh, uh, cover the area and the, the area's specific needs uh, uh, in its own right, rather than always in the kind of shadow of Toronto. So it sounds like you're doing like a, the 905 is calling. A little yeah. bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, just trying to, you know, wake people up to, I mean, and I'm sure this has happened uh, in Alberta too, you know, local media has basically died. Traditional local media, print media has died. And there are the, the, you know, the rotting carcasses of a few local newspapers still exist, um, but they're pretty bad. Um, you know, a city like, uh, we both used to live in Burlington, which is just, you know, uh, about an hour outside Toronto. Uh, I now live in Hamilton, which is the next city along, but, um, uh, 
you know, a city like Burlington, which is not particularly big, it's about, I don't know, 450,000 people, I kind of know, 180,000 people, something like that, used to have four newspapers back in the day coming out a couple of times a week. Now there's one and it's a joke, you know, with, with the greatest of respect to the people who work for it. It's not their fault, but it is a joke. Uh, so this, what's going on and where people live just doesn't get covered in the way that it used to uh, at all anymore. And, and someone's got to do it. Yeah, we've got an outlet, uh, an outlet that tries to do that, and they do a pretty good job, but they do more deep dive kind of stuff. They're called the Sprawl here in Calgary. I have their their sticker on my water bottle because I'm cool like that. But, I think I've come uh, across that, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're amazing. The Jeremy Claus is with the Sprawl does amazing, amazing. But the, I know that they're they're struggling for the for the readership, and we've certainly seen the erosion of. I mean, I think most of what we read in the Calgary Herald or the Calgary Sun is written largely out of Toronto, except for a couple mm -hmm. of the editorials. But it's it's gone from the Calgary Herald and the Calgary Sun being two entirely separate newspapers to now, if you buy a copy of the Calgary Herald, you're buying all of the same articles that appear in the Sun. You're just getting slightly less colorful advertising. Well, that's the problem that we saw, that we found was that everything was just, uh, it was literally, literally the same. It'd be the same articles reprinted in various yep. papers in the 905 supposedly local news newspapers uh and you're right like it's all it's all being pumped out of Toronto especially well I mean today we've uh this week we've heard about the the Bell Media uh layoffs and the idea is okay we'll just cover you're going to cover the entire country I mean that our region we we try to cover our region of about four million people as best we can the two of us with the meager resources we have and it's darn hard it, it is a hard job to do to try and get the 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 stories that you that you think are important that people should know about and talk about i can't imagine saying okay i'm going to try all that plus let's throw in you know manitoba saskatchewan alberta and bc and all other provinces you're, you're going to be able to get those stories that are important to uh you know to, to those living in the small towns across the country i, I the math doesn't work out for me and it, it, it's yeah, I mean, if they're not going to do it properly, the rest of us have to kind of pick up the slack and just try and make make it happen as best we can, which is, uh, you know, why, why I like listening to your podcast because it, it does give me informed on uh, a part of the country that, quite frankly, I would not, like, I, I know more about Alberta politics than I do about, uh, uh, than, than I would reading it in the Toronto Star or the Globe, I'm sure. There's just a lot that's going on in Alberta so politics these days, though, so it's like... Well, maybe just Nate, just give for our, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, give give the uh, give the elevator pitch of of the breakdown podcast and why why they should be <laughs> listening, and what it's how it came to be. Uh, wow, that's a that's a whole lot there to unpack. Um, well, the elevator pitch of the breakdown is uh, kind of tied to its origin story, uh, which is profoundly embarrassing for me. Um, because back in 2019, in the provincial election that occurred, uh, I made the spectacular mistake of running for uh, the position of MLA or provincial MP, I think you guys call it out there. Yep. Um, but I, I ran with a party called the Alberta Party and got my ass handed to me. But as part of my campaign, one of the things that I realized was the vast majority of the people that I was talking to when I was knocking on doors and when I was interacting with them on social media had no idea about what the issues were, whether we're talking locally or at the provincial level, they had no clue. And so during my campaign, one of the things that I 
did was I put out these little short videos, usually like three to five minutes at the most, where I would talk about, here's one of the issues that's facing the province right now. Here's one of the issues that's facing this constituency right now. And when it ended, um, I had a couple of people say, you know, please don't stop that. And so a group of a group of people got together and we decided to to put together the the thing that has become the breakdown and the mandate is basically we're trying to get people engaged in political conversations a, a using any means necessary so we do a lot of satire we do a lot of humor uh on occasion we use puppets um and at the same time uh we we also uh try to encourage the idea of having conversations because far too often the political discourse, especially in Alberta is uh, you're wrong and I don't want to hear anything else. And mm -hmm. that only, I mean, we're seeing more and more the polarization that that's yielded here in this province. Um, and so the, the idea of the show is maybe, maybe we can have some conversations uh, about politics without it turning into a shouting match and at the same time maybe we can we can have a little bit of fun too and so that's what we try to do it's it's a great i was a long a few, elevator ride i apologize it, no it's, it's well it's a, it's a tall building to get to the top uh for sure but you know i've, I've listened to a couple of your episodes and uh you do a great you do a great job i i especially there's a one episode i listened to your interview with uh charles adler uh a little while ago and if you don't, if you get a chance, folks, uh, go go search in uh, in Nate's uh, back catalog for that one. It's a, it's a really fascinating talk about the state of Canadian media from you know the 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 king of Canadian media, uh, uh, Charles Adler, and just it's a really informative kind of come 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 to reality kind of episode on on the state of the kind of what we've been talking about just kind of giving some kind of some meat on the bones to it to it I, re, I do recommend you go uh go listen to it folks if you get a chance to like and subscribe as the kids say yes yes absolutely um which is kind of why you know we i want i reached out to you uh back when the alberta provincial election was still happening and there seemed to be well it still is <laughs> And, well, okay. Well, I mean, for for those of us who, who don't live in Alberta, I understood it is it's over, it's done. It was, uh, it was pretty definitive. But when it, we I reached out to you uh, because at the time it looked like there was going to be an, a shift in power. That at the time Rachel Notley looked like she might win. Uh, obviously, spoiler alert for those of you who don't know, she did not. Uh, Danielle Smith uh, won a majority government, uh, and she. Now, you're, I'm, I'm hoping that you're not going to correct me. She is the premier of Alberta, correct? Yes, for now. Uh, okay. So there's two things that have happened, which is why I made the joke about the election isn't actually over. Um, there are two constituencies where the, the difference in votes was less than 100. And so that triggered an automatic recount through Elections Alberta. But when Elections Alberta does the recount, what they do is they look at all of the votes that were cast on Election Day. Now, the two people who got punted um, are two fairly high, previously fairly high profile uh, UCP MLAs and uh, one very, very high profile cabinet minister, Tyler Shandro. He lost by, I think it's like 25 votes now, 24 votes or something like that. Um, and 
the the next step in that process, should someone choose to pursue it, is uh, somebody can file for a judicial recount. And the word came out today that both of those um, both of those constituencies, the UCP has come forward and said, we want judicial recounts going on. So now all of the votes that were cast in all of the places and all of the things are going to get recounted and it's going to be uh, supervised by a judge. So it's I mean, it's not going to make a difference in who's forming government. Daniel Smith will be the the premier for at the very least a little while. Um, but there's all kinds it's it's Alberta. So there's all kinds mm -hmm. of fascinating machinations that are going on in the background. And there's a lot of people sort of going, how long is she going to be able to hold on to it? Because, uh, I mean, we have at least one of her cabinet ministers who throughout the election was openly campaigning to be the next leader of the UCP. He's continuing to do so. Um, and Daniel Smith has managed to alienate a lot of the far, 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 far right folks that uh, helps her get the leadership. And so she before before the election even happened, the knives were already coming out for her. And it's going to be fascinating to see how long she can hold on to power. It, it's a it was a strange election from my perspective or from our perspective that I guess in, in a way Alberta politics has, has reconfigured in a way that's kind of like politics used to be in that there's two parties running and it was like it's a very close election but someone won with a majority and that's something that we're not used to anymore so whether it's close election there's going to be a minority isn't there? We've never had, I don't believe, in Alberta. There's a gentleman named Dave Berta who, uh, or Dave Cornier, who would be probably a much more reliable source. But I seem to recall that there has never been a minority government in Alberta. Um, prior to the NDP forming government in 2015, it was a 44-year dynasty of the PCs. And prior to that, it was the Socreds. So the, Alber the, the, the transition for Alberta has been over the last eight years, arguably, we've moved from a one-party state to a two-party state. Which I guess is progress in a way. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean it, it, it certainly, I know the first time Rachel Notley won, you know, as an ignorant uh, Ontarian, and, and I'd say that unironically, it's kind of true. Um, I was like, sorry, what happened? The NTP won? And then this time I was like, okay, the NDP could win again. It does not compute with 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 Eastern Canadian or Central Canadian sort of views of of, of the West, you know, of, of Alberta in particular. So obviously, there's a hell of a lot of people out there who who do not fit within the the cliched. Uh, there's only one type of Alberta and only one one party state kind of view. So, so what what's what's the kind of picture underneath everything that, that that's going on in Alberta at the moment? Obviously, we're seeing more and more polarization with a party with the old conservatives becoming something different. But what what what's what's going on in in the broader realm? I think there's a lot of things that are happening. I mean, one of the things that's very very clear in this election is the stark divide between rural and urban Alberta, and they are two. As, as somebody who grew up rurally and then moved to urban for my teen years, um, the, the difference in those two worlds, unless you've lived them, is almost impossible to verbalize um, because it is so, so, so different. So there's there's a big piece. And that was part of the, the UCPs. Like they, they, they said the quiet part out loud. They were like, as long as we win rural Alberta, we only need a couple of seats. So see ya. Um, and that was their their strategy. 
Um, so there's the, the rural Alberta piece and rural Alberta does in many ways have, I mean, it has a completely different culture in so many ways, um, but it also has a very adversarial relationship in a lot of ways with uh, urban Alberta that has a lot of history to it. Because when you start to take a look at big chunks of Alberta, not just in the South, I mean, Southern Alberta has a lot of stereotypes associated with it with good reason. Um, but also northern Alberta, a lot of Alberta was um, colonized by religious um, people. I mean, southern Alberta is famous for the LDS folks. Um, and if you take a look at the actual history of southern Alberta, all the irrigation that exists that allows a lot of the agriculture to happen in southern Alberta was put into place by members of the LDS church. So that's part of the fabric and the culture that exists. And when you start to talk about particularly religious backgrounds, you tend to lean very heavily in the social conservative realm. Now you juxtapose that with the, the major municipalities like Calgary and Edmonton. Edmonton has been a, a much more socially progressive city for quite some time. Um, and Calgary is starting to move in that direction. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, one of them is certainly we're, we're starting to see um, more young people um, who are being more engaged in the things. We're losing a lot of them, unfortunately. Uh, but another piece of it is, is absolutely immigration. Um, there has been a major, major shift in Calgary and Edmonton in regards to people are coming to Calgary and Edmonton from a other parts of the, the country. Um, but also a lot of other parts of the world. And it's it's creating a very, very different and new dynamic. But another one of the pieces, and I think that this is almost impossible to understate, is, you know, I Alberta's polarized in a really weird way. And I say it's a really weird way because on one hand, we have the UCP under Daniel Smith, which is the Wild Rose 2.0. Uh, it is all of the far right things, um, unabashedly so. I mean, the number of times that Alberta makes international news in a week because we're basically Florida, but without the beaches and the cruises is pretty stunning. Um, so there's an extreme right element that has definitely moved itself into very strong positions of power in the province. And at the same time, the NDP, who used to be the, the, the lefty, uh, party, they made a mad dash for the center starting in like 2016. And that's the space that they're currently trying to occupy. So whether or not you want to say that the province is, is deeply, deeply polarized or the Overton window has just been moved so far over to the right that it just looks that way now, um, the the dynamics and the, the demographics have, have shifted in a big way. And we saw this in the election where there were conservatives like heavy hitter conservatives in the PC government and the mm -hmm. federal PCs for that matter, uh, who came out and were like, this is not conservative anymore. This is a whole different beast. Um, Thomas Lekasik, who we had on the show, he's, he was the deputy premier. He was the minister of a bunch of different things. He was an MLA for like 14 years. Uh, and he came out very, very early saying, this is a different, this is not the conservatism that you're used to. Somebody painted a very different animal blue and they were like, no, but trust us. Um, and so it's a, it's a very strange time 
in Alberta politics because there's a lot of moving pieces. And I wonder the extent to which Ontario is just following behind. I mean, some of the things that you just mentioned have happened in Ontario too. And the polarization between urban and rural Ontario is absolute. You know, the, the There's rural Ontario? Yeah, so rural Ontario yeah, is yeah. PC through and through very, very strongly. And um, the, the last Liberal, um, when the Liberals were still uh, the provincial government, I think the last, uh, the last time they won, they had like one rural seat. And that was actually close to where I live now. So, and it was the rural inverted commas. It had, it had some fields, but it, it was kind of rural urban mix. Um, so that, that kind of divide is, is absolutely there too. Uh, we don't have quite the same level of religious craziness, uh, perhaps. Um, but certainly if you look at um, Doug Ford's caucus, um, there are some notable, um, uh, you know, there's been infiltration by religious groups into the PC party. And, well, Doug Ford um, got Doug Ford got his uh, leadership by catering to the social conservative uh, crowd. Uh, and my understanding is they he he catered to them, got their support, won the leadership. When he won premiership, he basically said, "Okay, go back in the closet. I don't I don't need you anymore." And that ticked off a lot of them, um, which I think has had. Um, like, like for us, like they've they've started. You and I have covered it. But they started trying to get into this uh, uh, this the school boards uh, to try and to try and weasel their way in, into those school boards, particularly the yeah. Catholic school boards, yeah. are, are kind of open season. That's basically entryism. That's how extreme religious groups, social conservatives, are getting into the political uh, system. Um, well, they're saying it out loud out here. We've got an organization in Alberta called Take Back Alberta. Um, not sure from what they want to take it back because uh, Alberta's history is pretty clear, but there's an organization called Take Back Alberta. And they said, okay, so first order of business is to get Danielle Smith elected. Second order of business is to take over the UCP board, uh, which they've been exceedingly successful at. Uh, they have more than half of the board now and their AGM's coming up in a couple of months and they're very well positioned to take over the rest of the board of that party. But they're also already organizing for the the uh, the school boards and the city council. The thing is, it's not actually uh, like you. Uh, both Joel and myself have have a history of both being involved in uh, party politics as as kind of volunteers and staffers, and, and actually running for office as well. Um, I ran for council back in twenty eighteen. Uh, and Joel, you actually ran for the school board. Yep. Uh, we were both equally successful as you. <laughs> um, um, the, the trauma is real. Uh, but, um, but what you do realize from having been involved is like there's so few people who actually get up and join a political party that it's not that difficult to say, okay, I need 100 friends or 200 friends, particularly if you're a member of a church or a, or a religious organization or whatever kind, Okay, you all just need to come along, cast your vote today, um, so that we can get. And it's partly down to secular Canadians uh, being so bad at organizing themselves um, that that the religious groups or, or whatever groups, whatever you know, single interest groups that don't necessarily share the interests of the party they're infiltrating, can do it so damn easily. Really, is, is that was that your experience uh, in Alberta as well? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I've said it before on the show and I've, I've said it before in other places as well, that one of the things that sets the the right apart, um, and I'm air quoting that because it's such a broad term, is the the tendency for there to be some sort of religious background, especially in Alberta. And so when you have people who have religious backgrounds, grounds they have some experience already with evangelizing mm -hmm. and the the big difference between the the right and the left in alberta is the right will go hey um we're just not gonna stop we're gonna keep going no matter what and it doesn't matter if people don't like us we we believe in this this cause uh, we believe that that our own personal stakes are such that we have to remain invested in it. I mean, it, it overlaps unbelievably well with with some practitioners of some faiths. He tried to hedge as he said it. But when you take a look at the left in Alberta, the the reaction. Am I allowed to swear on this thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. OK, CRT, cool. CRTC can't stop us yet. So thank you. Don't, don't. <laughs> I don't want to have that conversation. Um, but uh, you take a look at the left and as soon as the left is presented with something that they don't like, they go, oh, fuck it. I'm out. And that's it. And they walk away mm -hmm. and they, they go try to start their, their own little club uh, until somebody does that to them. And there's no, um, commitment in anywhere near the same realm as you see on the on the right and the other thing that the right is really really good at because of that sort of evangelical background is they've already identified oh you got to get them young so they they have especially on the right they have an incredibly effective uh, networking and organizational skills when it comes to, well, let's make sure that we get the youth involved. You take a look at some of the press secretaries and some of the, the early appointments that went into the, the Jason Kenney government and the overwhelming majority of staffers that were put into quite high positions were like 25 and under. Right. No previous experience other than party work. Well, that's the thing with, like here, here in, in Ontario, again, if I want to say, I think we're just, the the right is just a, a few steps behind uh, the Albertan right, and, and it's because I, I think you're right. It comes down to like being able to be disciplined. Like the right is very disciplined in being able to say, okay, what's our end goal, and the compromises that you have to make in politics along the way. The right can very much say, I can deal with this because it's all on my path towards the victory that I want to achieve, whatever it is. The left, um, those compromises it's it it's rather it's a, i'd rather win that ideological victory of well at least my my integrity and my my convictions are pure than say yeah but that means you lose the war like you're, you're not going you're not going to attain the you're not going to be able to move the move the the the, the measuring stick any any further down the down the field because you just won't pick it up because of your integrity and your, your, your principles, which that's fine for you. But the frustrating part is there's always somebody counting on you to help them out. And that's what politics is about. Like you, when, if you're elected as an MLA or an MPP or an MP, the end goal is you're there to help out in my mind, the lowest person 
in society to, to make sure that they're looked after in whatever way, whether it's getting them finding, make sure they have opportunity to gainful employment or education or whatever the case may be. And if you're willing to sacrifice that person because, well, my principles are more important than your well-being, then you've lost. And that's why like you see, we're, we've been frustrated because we see the right make all these compromises on their, seemingly their principles. Cause we know that they're, they say, no, we're here to win it. And the left would rather make that compromise and leave thousands of people no better off than they were the day before. Um, because, you know, at least I, at least I got my principles, which is why, you know, I think in this country, you see, you know, as a, the, the last, the federal government is the, the, the liberal party that, they are failing in the polls, in my opinion. They are failing at winning over those people because those on the left, those those left-minded individuals, are losing their their trust because you're not doing anything. Your principles are so are are so much more important to you than actually helping people on the ground. And I don't even know if it's about the principles though with the left. Like the beef that I have with the the left is that if you if you say like. One of the things that blows my mind is mm -hmm. there's no question that the the bent of the breakdown is progressive. Like mm -hmm. there's just no, I mean, our, our one of our rules of engagement is nobody gets a pass. So it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum on. If you're behaving badly, then we're going to call you out and probably make some jokes at your expense. But the at the end of the day, there's no like there's no question that the breakdown has a progressive event to things that being said we get more tips and information from folks on the right than we do certainly in the last six months from folks on the left because we did a series at the beginning of i want to say 2022 where we took a look at the problems that exist inside of political parties. And we sat down with a couple of people who were pre former NDP staffers. We sat down with a couple of people who were former NDP MLAs and ministers. And they kind of talked about, here's where the culture is, is fundamentally broken. And what it comes down to is in conservative circles, there is an awareness that even if I disagree with you, I can still work with you to move things forward potentially. And there might be, we might not agree on all the things and we might not move the things forward that I want. Like, I'm not going to get all the things that I want, but maybe, maybe we can, we can work on some things collaboratively. And on the other parts, we'll just say, ah, eh, fuck you. Um, whereas progressives, the left, certainly in Alberta, if you are perceived in any way to have slighted them, then it's game over. They won't talk to you. They won't acknowledge your existence. They won't work with you in any sort of collaborative way. It's done. And it's fascinating because uh, it ho it, it's, it's just their way of hobbling themselves. Like there was a recent incident, and this was, this was actually really educational for everybody who works on the show because there was a, a, what appeared to be a memo uh, that was announcing that the former chief medical officer of health, Dr. Henshaw, had been hired back to Alberta Health Services working in a totally different portfolio. It aligned perfectly with when her contract with BC terminated. It was presented and formatted in all of the right ways. And we amplified it and we said, well, that'd be pretty wild. And it turns out it appears that it was inaccurate. It was a, it was a forgery. 
um, we immediately said, okay, we got taken. Just goes to show misinformation is a bitch, y'all. Um, but the response from some of the progressive media was to say, oh, see, look, they suck. And it's like, you don't see, you never see another, uh, any other media outlet. And we're not journalists. Let's be, I, I want to be clear that the breakdown, we make that very, very clear because we use fucking puppets for Christ's sakes. Um, but <laughs> we're not journalists. Uh, but when you see other media outlets, you don't see them taking a victory lap when somebody else falls down and you don't see them invalidating them. You go, you see them go, that sucks for them, but we don't need to punch down. We're not going to do that. Um, because it invalidates the entire culture. But the, there's a, a tendency for progressives to go, ha ha, we're better. And that, that's just them getting in their own way. And it's really, really unfortunate because I think it's one of the things ultimately that, that really hurt the NDP in the last provincial election. I mean, that, that's, that's another thing that's very familiar. I mean, here obviously, Ontario, there are basically... Liberal, you know, if you're talking about uh, urban Ontario, there are liberal cities, there are NDP cities, and boy, no vitriol is greater than the hatred of a liberal or oh. NDP volunteer for the other party. <laughs> Far greater than the, the loathing for the for the conservatives. And it's like, well, and then you look, you know, the last election we we sort of did episodes going through the platforms because it's like, well, nobody else nobody else ever reads them, so why don't we actually just take a look at? Screen? And it's like, in all honesty. The NDP platform could have been written by the Liberals. The Liberal platform could have been written by the NDP. The difference was so, so small. Uh, it was tiny. And it's like, and you assholes are going to carry on arguing uh, and, and guarantee that the, that the PCs win another election or another election. Uh, we, we just interviewed what, one of the leadership candidates for, for the, for the uh, Liberal Party the other week. Basically, uh, I think he said, oh, I'd have to go back and check. Basically, like, oh, I'm not even thinking about the next election. We're looking at two elections down. It's like, we're dealing with a kind of crisis of, in education, a crisis in healthcare. And you're saying, oh, we're not even going to, you know, we're just building. We're not going to try and win the next one. When there's a clear majority of Ontarians at every election who will happily vote NDP or Liberal, but cannot get themselves organized to pick one or the other. <laughs> um, it's so frustrating uh, and it's like this just, in our electoral system the way it works just gives the prize to whoever's basically the most organized and the most unified but not necessarily the most numerous in terms of actual votes uh and that's a tragedy right across the country i think um that uh, and such a big part of the ability of polarizing parties to actually do well electorally because under a different electoral system, you can't win. Math doesn't work um, to, to say, okay, we're going to get a majority government with 30% of the vote, uh, which is, I don't know, what, what did Doug Ford get the last election? 31, but 32? 30, like 33%, I think, of the yeah. of the vote. No, no, sorry. But he, of all eligible voters, everyone who's vote. eligible to vote in Ontario, you got a whopping 17%. Yeah. Russia. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's just... That, that's an inspiring figure you have there. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's just the thing. Well, it partly speaks to how pathetic and woeful the opposition parties, all the opposition well, parties were. They were just abysmal. That's and, the wild and, thing about this last yeah. Alberta election, though, is like, if you take a look 
at the UCP platform and the NDP platform with one or two exceptions, it's the same platform, like the similarities. And there were a lot of people who commented on like, so what's like, it's the, it's the same platform, but the mm -hmm. NDP made the fatal mistake of announcing that they were going to increase corporate taxes. Um, and that allowed the UCP to say, I mean, it was, it was a 3% increase that they were looking at, but 3% of eight is apparently like 36% or something. Uh, and so the UCP not only got to campaign on saying, ah, look, the NDP want to raise taxes, but they also got to say, and they want to raise them by 38%. That's what they're going to do to you. And that was, right. especially in somewhere like Battleground Calgary, that was a huge delineating factor. But if you take a look at the, the vast majority of the rest of the platforms, there was a stunning number of similarities i mean the yeah and i started we mean the pcs here don't even put out a platform anymore they're just like hey we've got doug vote for us that's <laughs> the that is the complete you you, you laugh but, but roland is absolutely 100 correct yeah, on that's that's that, that as much as we could figure in the last campaign that was the that was their strategy just there vote is, doug yeah um but the Better other the, yeah, the greens liberals the ndp They'd obviously read each other's platforms. They're, they're structured the same. They've got the same basic talking points. They're using the same language. They're the same fucking platforms. It's so yeah. annoying. Um, uh, and, yeah. and it's like the, it's like um, I was just thinking. It's like the generals, you know, back in the, you know, in the First World War, where the generals of the armies were sort of refused to accept that they were in a trench warfare battle of attrition. They were like, okay, we need the cavalry because any minute now we're going to get out of these trenches and go charging across the fields, just like it's eighteen fifteen again. And the, the political party is behaving like that. It's like, okay, well, we just need to keep on doing the same thing because sooner or later, everybody's going to realize that we're the best and they're all going to unify behind us and then we'll be off to the races. And it's like, but that's not how politics works anymore. We're so much more fractured as, as a society. Hmm. Plus, you've got three parties basically serving up the same thing and, and pretending that they're different. What, you know, what the hell do we expect to happen? I don't know. How do we fix this? <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the delineating factor, the, the, there was one huge delineating factor in the election, and it was the leaders. Um, we had, on one hand, Danielle Smith, who, like, it's, it's remarkable how she can't go more than, like, 48 hours without doing something that everybody goes, wait, what? Um, it's, it's truly stunning. I, I have to ask you. Does she actually believe the stuff that she's saying, or is it like a, a gimmick to reach out to the the SoCon components of her of her supporters? Like, I can't believe she she does, she can't actually believe all the stuff that she's putting that she's saying to the microphone. Does she? I think there's there's a couple of different factors. Like, I've only met her twice, um, and there's a. There's a there's a, a fascinating thing about Smith. I've talked to a lot of people who spent a lot of time with her, um, especially when she was in the legislature. And the consensus seems to be that Danielle Smith is very, very good at and she's in a, she's a very strong order. So, like, if you give her a script, she can do extraordinarily well. Um, she is a, a compelling, compelling speaker, which drives people crazy because when she doesn't have a script the stuff that comes out of her mouth is i mean you can go she's got a locals page 
which is mm-hmm. I'm told a like it's it's like a pay-per-view social media platform. I have not looked at it that closely. I have fortunately there's somebody who's who's does work with the show who uh is a subscriber and and they do all of they wade through that so I don't have to, which is awesome. <laughs> but it's it's a place where Daniel Smith has largely said, hey, what if all ideas are welcome? What if we just say, you know what, if you have a thought, say it, let's see what happens. And unfortunately, what happens when you do that sort of thing is you have people who don't understand complex issues, who try to reduce those complex issues to something that they can understand. And in that process, they make a lot of shit up. And this is part of the reason why we see the, you know, Daniel Smith on her first day as premier after she swore in her cabinet, she was like, ah, oh, the WEF are the worst. She got that from her audience. She is historically, when she was in the legislature, what I've been told is that when she was in question period, she would have questions that were given to her and she could read those and she could sound really, really good and, and, and compelling when she read them. But if you got her off script, she was lost. And if you got her off her talking points that she's committed to memory, she's lost. And we saw that when she was in radio, because when she was doing radio after her political career, she would welcome all viewpoints and she absorbed some of those. I mean, she she's someone who shared out the, the famous tweet where she was like, hey, hydroxychloroquine cures COVID 100 um, percent. She doesn't have the the filters that say, hey, before I say this thing. Let me just think about it for a second. She doesn't have that. And it's a constant. The best way I can describe Danielle Smith when she's not on script from what I've seen and from what I've heard from people who know her and have worked with her is it's a constant brainstorming session. But it's a brainstorming session that is also informed by, and I will never admit that I'm wrong. So she'll say whatever thought floats into her head. But then if it's a bad thought, she won't say, oh, I kind of shit the bed on that one. Like the stage four cancer comments that she made, she never properly apologized for. She said they'd been taken out of context, which they hadn't. Those were literally the words that she, like this, it's on video. What do you want? <laughs> uh, and there's been plenty of examples where she said profoundly offensive, ill-informed things. Um, and rather than take responsibility for them, she just... Well, I was taken out. Of, I spoke imprecisely when I said that I was subverting democratic norms. I was speaking imprecisely on video three times, but I was imprecise. And the, the challenge is, is that at the same time that she does that, she's also got committed to memory. You know, like I like to think about Ralph Klein. And, you know, he always said you take responsibility, you learn from your mistakes, and then you move on. And she's got that line that she puts out over and over and over again. And so her her, her audience, her base that support her go, oh, look, she's just like Ralph Klein. And they never take a look at the fact that she's never actually done any of those things. And it's that's one of the things that's so fascinating about Smith is because it is a constant brainstorming session. You can even see it. Like if you go and you watch some of her her interviews or you watch her when she's being interviewed, she does this thing where she kind of looks up to the side and you can say, oh, wait for it. It's coming. Here it comes. It's going to be good. And but, that's but when- I mean, she, I guess the lesson of the last decade, decade and a half of politics worldwide is that the looser the canon, the more potentially 
popular they they can be you know, with, you know donald trump there's a man who's with words coming out of his mouth that are out of his mouth before they've gone through a synapse in his brain you know the, the, he's they're clearly just whatever he wants to say at that moment it's coming out uh rob ford i, Doug ford. I mean Doug ford is, is almost like an old school professional politician compared with some of these guys but there's such a, there's a contingency of people who basically like yeah the bigger the agent of chaos we can choose, the bigger the asshole, the more outspoken, the more idiotic they are. That's good from our point of view. I mean, do you think that's partly what's going on here? I don't think that's actually what's happening. I think what's actually happening is, and I'll refer you back to the rant I did about the left earlier, progressives. I mean, you take a look at, at Clinton's campaign, the baskets of deplorables. Um, progressives have done a very, very good job of saying to people that they disagree with or who are perhaps not as informed about complex issues, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, you're a bad person for being wrong. And so when you get somebody like Donald Trump, when you get somebody like Danielle Smith, who comes out and she says all the things that you've been thinking, now you're okay to be you again. And that, like one of the the biggest there's a there's a conversation I watched with the where John Stewart interviewed like these four uh, disease control experts and all of them were like holy cow if we learned one thing from COVID we can't communicate worth shit we are <laughs> terrible at communicating we had all of this science we had all of this evidence and because we couldn't communicate it. Other people tried to, but they didn't understand it. So instead of here's here's what a vaccine's supposed to do, here's how it's supposed to work. You had people like Jason Kenny standing up with a whiteboard and trying to teach a biochem class that they, you know, we're, we're talking about somebody who didn't even study biochem as far mm -hmm. as we know. So like it's it's mm -hmm. that's where the failure is. And I think that because there is a not small segment of the population that has been made to feel like there's something wrong with them for what they believe as opposed to saying let's no let's bring you along um right when you have somebody like a trump or a smith who says you know what fuck those guys they have been judging you they have been pushing you down they are trying to take away everything that you want they are the other I think that's, that's I think that's a really good point. Good yeah, I, I, I would. I like I, the, the. I like what you just said there. That, I I agree with. I think both of you have. Uh, you both both of you said things that are true. I would just add one further point to that: is that the left, whenever they got in power, uh, I don't think made enough of an impact on people's lives, um, on that that those kitchen table issues. You know, the the left. The left like to hold their principles. We're gonna we're gonna create these this great big overarching, you know, look at climate change, right? Climate change is, is a major issue. It's a global issue. We all need to do something about it. And but it's hard to connect that to the kitchen table when people are right now currently saying, "I need to pay pay the mortgage. I need to pay the grocery bills. I you know my job's not paying me enough to to do these things what am i going to do i don't really care about a carbon pricing scheme or carbon capture or or whatever whatever have you um and that's the thing is that you know the the when the here in ontario the the when the liberals were in power yeah there, there's a they, they had they had some wins they had some significant wins 
But at the end of the day, it, they didn't change the lives of people on the ground enough for them to say, like the average person on the ground saying, my life doesn't change, whether it's a conservative government or a small L liberal government, NDP in Alberta or UCP or conservative here in Ontario or liberal or NDP, they say, my life doesn't change that much. In fact, it just gets harder and harder. So yeah, when somebody like Daniel Smith or Donald Trump step up to the microphone and just lets it, lets it fly, like, yeah, why not? It's, it, you know, my life isn't going to change one way or another. And if I can cause a little bit of discomfort or, or may really cut, stick it to somebody else, so be it. Because my life isn't going to change. My problems aren't going away. I think part of the other, the other, one of the other factors that's involved in it as well is the approaches that the left and the right historically take to how they do politics. The right takes a very sort of adversarial. Mm -hmm. I mean, Danielle Smith didn't run against Rachel Notley. She ran against Justin Trudeau. That was the right. entire UCP campaign. Uh, there is that adversarial component. And where I think progressives in the left fall down always is that they try to imagine what it would be like to be inspirational or aspirational. And when they try to behave like somebody who, I think this is how somebody who is inspirational or aspirational would behave mm -hmm. because they don't actually hold those values to be true. They fail. I don't know about you, but I'm loving my federal proportional representation that was brought to us by the liberals. I think it's working great. Um, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about leaders who conduct themselves with ethics, SNC-Lavalin is a regular thing that gets brought up here in Alberta. The, the reason why Justin Trudeau has failed to overcome his father's legacy in the province of Alberta is because he has not demonstrated himself in a tangible way to be different. And what there's Daniel Smith, Donald Trump, you know what you're going to get. That person is going to say some crazy shit and it's going to be super offensive. Yeah. That's there's nobody surprised by that. But when you have somebody like Justin Trudeau or Rachel Notley who come in and they're like, I am inspirational and I aspire to be better things and I will get elected and then do none of them. Then well, that's, Everybody goes, well, I've just been lied to. Well, that's here in here in well, here in Ontario. I mean, Doug Doug Ford and the Conservatives run basically my their ethos, you're right, they're adversarial. They're adversarial to the essence of government. Like they we recently found out that they're sitting on $22 billion. There's $22 billion in the government coffers. And they just like, oh yeah, we forgot to tell you. we we have $22 billion in the bank. Um yeah, our our bad. And it's like like we have much of School, which came from the provincial government for spending during COVID. Yeah, like it, and and, and like our, the government, the, our provincial government does does not want government to do anything. So everything's getting privatized. Everything is getting sold off. We've got Galen Wesson's going to be giving us. You know, we can cash in our PC optimum points to get a cardiac surgery at some point. I'm pretty sure down the pipeline. You laugh. I am. Give me five years, and that will be a reality. Oh no, I laugh because it's true. Yeah, but that, but that's that's like that's the thing. It's like, oh, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will teach our kids. Somebody else will do, uh, look after us and do the heart surgeries and and all that stuff. Um, and and that's just it. like you know, just, it's that adversarial. But you're right, that adversarial nature is what kind of gets done because government didn't do anything. 
whether it's federal or provincial or municipal, it doesn't do anything to act. And it could, that's the, I guess that's the frustrating part is that a lot of progressives think the three of us could say it could, but you have to take a chance and you have to take a risk and you have to be willing to actually do the work and make it work. And they're not doing it. And so when you have somebody like Daniel Smith or a, a, a Doug Ford coming in and saying, yeah, you're right. So you know what? Let's just farm it out to the next person, the next billionaire who comes along and says, oh, I'll pay for that hospital. I'll pay for that schoolyard. Okay. Yeah. Great. Look, we're getting stuff done. No, you're not. And when it goes to, when it goes to shit, like what does it matter if I voted my MPP or my MLA, nothing's going to change. Yeah, really, what, what the, the, the thing that unifies maybe everything we've said is that the progressive parties, whether centrist or further to the left, uh, and basically by the time they, they're, the NTP become the liberals regularly across the country, you know, when the NTP win, they win because they've gone to the center. Uh, we saw it with Andrea Horvath here. She tried it, didn't work out. Ironically, the liberals actually went further left of that election and, and won a majority. I mean, Anyway, that's by the way. Um, but the progressive parties need to want to win as much as the conservatives do. Uh, it's really that simple. It's like winning is more important than anything else. We have to form the government. Uh, and it doesn't matter. I mean, again, our political system, just because of that betrayal by Justin Trudeau in his first year in office or whatever it was, uh, just doesn't encourage that um uh, and yet you'd think that by now the parties would be going you know what this we can't keep on beating a head against the wall this way you've got to change something um, well because i think the problem is they're not actually interested in when you hold a gun to any of these politicians heads and you say to all of them Please don't hold guns to anyone's heads. Just to be clear, this is a metaphor. Nobody be stupid. I know you guys have some gun problems out there, so I just wanted to be clear. Um, but, and you say to them, okay, you can either choose to save that starving baby in the street and you take the bullet or you don't take the bullet and we all walk away. Everybody walks away every time. And- I would argue, I can't speak for, for outside of Alberta um, because I don't pay that much attention to federal politics because we've got this dumpster fire going over here that's just so entrancing. Um, but I would argue that within provincial politics, um, the parties, and I would definitely argue that the progressive parties are super guilty of this, they don't want people who are going to represent the electorate. They don't want people who are going to 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 speak up challenge the norms try to push the needle they want very good poodles please and if you can be a very very good show poodle Mm -hmm. and if you tick off a certain number of the the things that we want for this particular constituency um then you can you can come and play and you can be a very good show poodle and and again this is where i go back to the conversations that we had with stephanie mclean and robin luff and some of the ndp staffers they were very very clear that if you played ball and you did what you were told you got a treat but if you didn't then you got spanked hard and it's it's that 
piece that I think progressive parties have to figure out how they're going to solve. Because you know what, if you want to be inspiring and aspirational, you're going to have to be willing to accept a couple of loose cannons that aren't always going to be perfectly in line with quaffed hair. You're going to need to have some, you know, you're going to need to recognize you need some people who are willing to get it get a little bit of blood on their knuckles from time to time because that's what people demand. And if you aren't willing to provide that because your desire for message control is so complete, then enjoy being the opposition forever. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's the tragedy of, of the tragedy of the media, it's the tragedy of the whole political system that we, we all get furious that politicians just, that uh, so, you know, to be a backbench MLA or a backbench MPP, it's a truly shitty job. Uh, you have no power, no influence. Um, uh, you, 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 you're just voting fodder to walk through the lobbies and vote the way you're told. Uh, you don't get to write your own speeches. You don't get anything. You're handed a piece of paper, you know, a good day. You get to read out a piece of paper that was actually written by some 25-year-old staffer who's completely unaccountable, but who is working in the premier's office. It's a shit job. And we're expecting like our brightest and smartest people to want to go and do that. Well, they don't um, increasingly. Uh, and like they don't want to sell certainly, out. Certainly with the right, they don't even want those guys running for them. It's like, oh, we don't want smart people. We want drones. Um, we want people who will be silent and obedient. And I think the public totally gets that on a kind of profound level, or even though people don't can be spectacularly uninformed about particularly provincial politics because we are all obsessed with i'm like you i'm not remotely obsessed with federal politics that's generally i find it very boring but most people watch power and politics or watch whatever and it's the federal stuff that they pay attention to and they know nothing about the provincial story but i do think that at a kind of deep level people get that this isn't the way it's supposed to work that that even if you have a good mpp um the they're, they're just part of this system that that, that they, they should be able to speak their mind they should be able to represent their writings um and they don't and they can't and if they did they would be fired uh and Robin I think that's, <laughs> yeah i mean that that's the root of the, the kind of cynicism that, that underlies everything i think and it's also why when you get squeaky wheels and loose cannons people are like okay well they may be an asshole but at least they're an asshole who's clearly not controlled by some uh, backroom staffer you can see the attraction can't you i mean if uh, i was the ndp and i was picking candidates for this last election i would have had a quota of loose cannons i would have said okay so i want i got 87 i want i don't know 10 that we know we're not going to be able to to control inside the legislature. We know that they're going to uh, be dogfighters in in for the issues that they're passionate about. We know that's going to happen. We'll have ten, but instead of them making any room for those, they go, "We will have eighty-seven very good poodles, please." And we saw it where there was a, a First Nations candidate here in Calgary who, who got the nomination and she called out the, the stampede board uh, and some of the large corporations on social media. I think it was a tweet. I'm working from memory. I could be wrong. And it wasn't like, 
I mean, I'm probably going to get in trouble for, 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 for saying this, but anybody who's surprised that there are First Nations folks who've got some issues with like the whole colonial apparatus, you need to pay more attention, I think, because they've kind of been screwed for a few hundred years. I imagine there's yeah, there's it shouldn't be surprising that a First Nations person would have objections to to that. And yet, when it happens, we're like, oh, look, disunity. Twenty four hours. Clearly, clearly, it's a disaster. We can't elect these people because they they had her removed within twenty four hours. You tell me that you can do an investigation of any kind in twenty four hours. That it was like they, done. Yeah, that. See, I I find that that's what drives people off of politics is that you're. You know, you 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 have these either you're not betting the people that you're running for, running for your party, or you are and you have no backbone to stand up when it, you know when they have actual opinions on, you know, yeah, it's, uh, how how the issue of stampede as a colonial apparatus it, is it? I don't know. I've never been stampede. I'm not going to chime in on that. But I know here in Ontario, um, for. <laughs> Here on on our on our back doorstep, we have uh, uh, Caledonia, which is on the six bordering the Six Nations Reserve. Uh, it has been in a perpetual land dispute, one of the biggest ones going back in Canadian history. And right to my, if I remember correctly, um, right right now there are there are First Nations members st- occupying land that's being trying to be developed by a developer, and. You know, we we've had on uh, First Nations reporters uh, on on the podcast to talk to them, like, what's going on here? What's what's the news? And it's the question we always come back to is like, okay, if this land is so contested. Why doesn't the province system say no? Like, you have other other parts to develop. Like, you can build houses in other parts of the of the township of of Caledonia. Why do you have to do it on this plot of land? Because I mean, there's a whole backstory of like there was a previous land dispute and they just moved like across the street. Like literally they just went across the road said, okay, we'll build on this land. And the first station was like, no, that's our land too. Like it, 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 it doesn't work that way. And they're like, well, we didn't know. And like, it's just one of these things like you say, would it be great to have an MPP or a candidate stand up and say, yeah, I have some issues on, I have some thoughts on this. I want, you know, the province does have a, a position to play on this uh, in this role, because um, I, mean, uh, you know, I just forget part of my French, but like have some balls and stand up for some convictions. And if and you know what's the worst that they're gonna say? Oh, we want to build to build a house. It's their it's their land. It'd be no different than me saying, Nate, I want to build a, a shed in your backyard. I don't care if it's your backyard. I want to build a shed there. Do I get to use the shed? No, it's my <laughs> shed. Right, I want I want to build my shed on your backyard, and yeah, right. It's just like to me, that's the equivalent. It's their land. They say, no, I don't want to build anything here. Just don't do it. The problem, I think, is that that for so many Canadians, like I live in a province where the ethics commissioner has said, so when MLAs get elected, we should probably give them classes on how government works. That's literally a thing that's happened in the last month because Daniel Smith, as premier. <laughs> represented a fundamental threat to democracy ethics commissioner said roughly those words um because she decided that she was going to try to pressure the uh the justice system to release a 
hate ridden pastor. Um, we live in it. That's, that's the province that I live in where the, the ethics commissioner literally had to say, okay, so all of these people who are now running government, they need to go back to high school and get remedial training on how government actually works. We live in a country where like half of BC isn't in Canada. And when you say that to people, there's a stunning number of people who don't know what unceded territories are. The notion that there are huge tracts of land that were never signed with treaties. And I mean, mm. there's places out east as well, for sure. But there's huge tracts of land. Like half of BC doesn't belong to Canada. That's that's a literal legal ruling. And BC's and the federal government are, of course, panically trying to get all of these new treaties signed in order to be like, no, but it's cool, right, guys? Um, but it's that lack of understanding that, you know, you take a look at the pipeline problems that we had here in Alberta, where there have been pipelines that have been tried to be jammed through northern Alberta and huge parts of northern Alberta don't technically belong to Canada. And a bunch of First Nations folks said, yeah, you, you can't put that shed up in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And Alberta said, but we want to. <laughs> and then That's we got mad at Justin Trudeau when he was like, OK, so maybe there are actually some laws that are involved here and we should probably sort that shit out. That that's I my understanding that's pretty much been Canada's first nations relationships since prior to confederation. Like that that that's pretty much it. We want to build this here. Well that's our land. Well but we want to put it there. Can we? No. We'll do it anyways. I mean the the, the thing and I would love to to speak to somebody, a legal expert who actually knows how this stuff works. Because I don't get any of it. <laughs> and also you can tell from my accent, I didn't grow up in this country. Um, it's a strange thing that, um, you know, to, to see say First Nations people going to a Ontario court to say that they land belongs to them. was like, well, you predate the court. How does the court get to have a say in this? You know, how did we persuade the First Nations to use our legal system? Oh, we decide... didn't. Well, we exactly. didn't. Exactly. We didn't persuade them. We uh, forced them to 100%. And I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to plug an amazing book that I think every Canadian should read. 21 Things You Probably Don't Know About the Indian Act. That should be mandatory reading for every Canadian. Because I got on, I got on the bookshelf back there. There you go. Yeah. That is, if you want to know how badly... Canada for literally hundreds of years fucked First Nations and Indigenous peoples mm -hmm. and just said, you know what, we're just going to take this stuff. And if you don't like it, then we're going to take your kids and we're going to train the savage out of them. Like that's that is our history. And to not acknowledge that and to have people in positions of power, to have people in positions of government who can't wrap their heads around the fact that these are ongoing issues. And yeah, you can't just run a pipeline through land that isn't part of the fucking country. Uh, that, is, that is a failure of what we're demanding from our elected leadership. Yeah, and, and like we've got the same issue here in Ontario. I mean, Everyone would remember uh, in Ontario a few, I want to say it was a while ago, but it wasn't really when Doug Ford uh, pushed through, uh, forced the QP uh, strikers to take a contract by forcing them with a notwithstanding clause. That was 
a first here in Ontario. I'm not sure if you heard about that in Alberta. I was probably distracted. <laughs> so, okay, I'll let you know. So in our, in our, uh, in Ontario, QP, which is a major union, uh, yeah, you'd be out in Alberta as well. Uh, in, in the, our, in our schools, basically the, uh, the custodial staff and some of the administrative staffs, they, they were striking for, or going to be striking, I should say, um, as they were in negotiations for a new contract. Rather than negotiate in good faith, Doug Ford and Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, uh, imposed a contract on them and said, you are going to accept it uh, and we're going to force you to accept it by invoking the notwithstanding clause uh, on, the, on them. First time it was ever used in labor negotiations between government and a, a participating party. Um, that got every union in this province up in arms. Even the unions that Doug Ford had won over in the previous election they all got an up in arms. Was, I've never seen, we never saw solidarity in this level, I think, ever. The number of unions who were potentially going to strike showed in solidarity and basically had to step back. But it was more shocking the fact that the premier, in order to get his point with a labor dispute, was going to throw, throw in the nuclear option of the notwithstanding clause. Was, uh, I, I think a lot of people just sat back and said, oh my God, like it, how, how, like, do you understand how this works or what, what the point of this clause is? You know, like you had. And it also showed, it also, that incident also showed, because Doug Ford did climb down and he basically yeah. said, okay, I'm not going to do that after all. And it showed, in one day, the labor movement was able to do what the opposition parties haven't managed to do in That's true. as part of a decade. And not only have they not been able to do it, the opposition parties have they're not even on the same planet as 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 that uh, that they you know the idea that the opposition holds the the government to account in ontario is just since 2018 has just not been the case they've just let i mean and partly covid had a role i i get that but it's an absolute joke uh the extent to which uh, and if you're in the opposition parties to be fair to them you can't partly because they're so damn boring. They can't get on TV. They can't get on radio. No one wants to listen to politicians anymore. Um, well, they're terrible speakers. So, yeah. They're, 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 <laughs> I mean, the, the, the new NDP leader uh, here, um, Marit Stiles, who, who came very highly recommended by everybody, I have yet to see her speak <laughs> you know the, in any you capacity. The, you um, know what the funny thing is, Nate? You said they're horrible speakers. I agree when they have a microphone in front of them because we've had politicians on this podcast and we went, when we turn off the mic, say, okay, the right, recording's yeah. done. We have the best conversations with them. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. I was like, you have conversations like, this is what you really think of the, of the matter. Like, this is fantastic. Say like, just, just say that, just do that at the microphone and you'll win people over. People are like, wow, that's, I've never heard that before. And they never do it. We say like, just say that next time you're on a press conference, say that that's what people, that's what people want to hear. And they never do. And I say, well, okay, fine. You can do the scripted lines, but it's crime in politics is to be boring. Oh yeah. And yet we have created a system that breeds boringness. Um, and that the only person who's allowed to have a personality is the leader. And often they're struggling. Um, you know, backbenchers have to be as boring, like as boring as possible. And then we wonder why everybody 
people don't vote anymore, why everybody's turned off by the whole thing. It's, it's I mean, the only way out of this is, is to sort of release, you know, <laughs> release the hounds, let them speak. <laughs> we have a an opposition MLA in Alberta who is uh, incredibly well-spoken when she goes in the legislature or even when she's speaking casually she is an incredibly powerful speaker uh she is charismatic she is personable she has a, a an incredible social media footprint when she chooses to exercise it oh but she's gay and so what we see with the ndp oh no i agree with you man Totally. The, the, that shouldn't right, matter. Right, right. Who cares? This, I know. Yeah. But what we saw was this incredibly charismatic, personable, um, relatable individual who, any other time other than the election, is one of the people that the NDP pushed to the front, was relegated, in effect, to traveling the province and door knocking. We didn't see her at a single press conference she didn't make a single ndp announcement and that is again exactly what you're talking about like they have the people who are incredibly compelling and are subject matter experts i mean this this person is uh has an extensive extensive background here's i'll tell you what my biggest beef is with the the ndp in Alberta right now. And I've said this before, but I'm going to, you, you got me kind of going now. So I'm going to lean right into it. <laughs> there is a media outlet that we have out here that is, unfortunately, it's starting to gain national reach. We're very sorry. It's called the Western Standard. And they published an editorial uh, six months ago, give or take, where it was some hack who decided that he was going to speculate on the LGBTQ nightmare world that would exist if the NDP won the election and this MLA was made to be the Minister of Education and there would be trans story times going on in all of the public schools. And that person later turned around and said, yeah, so that was clickbait, wasn't it? I totally leaned into all the dog whistles. I probably shouldn't have done that. And he issued an apology. Um, so, you know, do with that what you will, but the Western Standard never apologized. And the NDP's response was to say, well, we're not going to take any questions from the Western Standard. We're going to freeze them out now because that was that was rude and disrespectful. Um, and that became one of the bigger topics that went on throughout the provincial election because Western Standard would send their reporters out and the NDP would go, we're not talking to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and that became a narrative in and of itself. And I said, since day one, what the NDP should have said is, you know what? You're goddamn right. If we get elected, Janice Irwin is going to be one of the most amazing education ministers that this province has ever seen. And all of your fear mongering about things that are never going to happen, we're never going to do. Trans story time is never going to be a curriculum item. If that's something a school decides to do, have a conversation with that school. The, the minister of education's job is to make sure that education is properly funded, class sizes are managed, and there is literally no one who's running in this election who is more qualified to be the minister of education than Janice. Erwin. So thanks for the idea, Western Standard. Next question. That's what they should and, have done. And I think that makes a really key, really important point. I, I, I feel like politicians are successful. And you may not be politicians who listen to this podcast like, but they were successful in their day. Uh, and, you know, 
the Canadian context is probably the, the, the most hated people in, in Alberta, but say a, the, the original uh, Trudeau or a Chrétien or those guys, what you can say about those guys, love them or loathe them, is they didn't care who they fucked off, who they pissed off. Um, they were willing to say, yeah, you're damn right. You're not going to like this because I'm not doing it for you. Oh, this kind of idea that we now have to have that the progressive parties try to be everything to all people. Um, it's like, well, let's never offend anybody. It's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to offend these right wing dicks because they're dicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not going to vote for me anyway. So they can go fuck themselves. Uh, and I think that's a key part of being a successful politician, actually. And it doesn't mean being vindictive and going out of your way to hurt particular sectors of society. It does mean recognize who you're, who's actually going to give you the votes, because that's how the only way you're actually going to win the prize. And you're never going to get 100% of the votes. The conservatives are very good at recognizing exactly who's going to vote for them, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. after for them. And they don't care that they're pissing off all the mung bean eating pinko liberals like me. Um, they won't speak to me. They won't call me. They, you know, we are just in the outer darkness as far as they're concerned. They don't need my world to to give them a single what, vote. What I don't understand about like the left right divide in politics is that the right constantly isolates itself. The right honestly like will always go into that bubble of social conservative conservatism. It seems, regardless where you are in the in the country, like either you know we we will not talk to outside voices, like at least on our our, our podcast, we've reached out to progressive conservatives and conservatives to like, come on and say, we don't get your point of view. Like that's why we want to talk to you. We we have questions. We're not going to belittle you, but we just you got to explain this to us because we're not getting it, and they won't come talk to us because we're not in that. We're not. We're, we know we're not in that conservative bubble, and I always puzzles like why people on the left always seem to want to go and play by their rules and when you look at the math nationally provincially at the best that they can that a right-wing government can really like a core group of people following them it always seems to be at best 30 percent a third of the population really say no that's that's my those are my people the rest of us are kind of like I guess, like, just don't burn down the house when we give you the keys, is I think the majority of the Canadian population. And I always wonder, like, how is it that progressive people can't, like, they always want to play by the right wing tune, right? Like, they, let's go for the clickbait, you know? Um, let, let's see how, how out conservative, how out right wing we can make, we can play this game, as opposed to going to the progressive minded folks, the, 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 the everyday folks say, yeah, like what well, we're gonna, we might, we might have uh, gay gay books in your kids' schools. Why? Because some of your kids are gay. That's that's the reality. Like it's no it's no more conspiratorial than that, right? Gay people exist in our in our in Canada. They live and work alongside you. Yeah, maybe some of them might want to read some books. Same as we're gonna have black and indigenous authors as well on the shelves as well. Not because of some agenda. It's just why not. Some they have some nice stories to tell. That's it. I think a big part of it is like progress isn't easy. No. Progress is hard and it requires will and it requires bravery, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there is a perception that exists that in order for somebody else to progress, I'm going to lose something. It's a false, false oh, yeah, yeah. thing for sure. But that's a, that's a, a perception that exists. Whereas when you take a look at, you know, regressive politics, like social conservative politics, that's something that is super easy because I'm going to like, it's like I was saying about Smith and Trump earlier, I'm going to play to all of your fears. I'm going to say all of the things that, that you're not comfortable saying out loud. And I'm going to show you that it's okay. I mean, you take a look at the, it is, there was a, I can't remember. I can't, I still have to, I have to look this up because I've used this reference like five times in the last two weeks, but you know, the, you take a look at all of the fears that exist about LGBTQ2S plus people. And overwhelmingly the loudest voices in the room are always men why is that At the end of the day they're afraid that the gay men are going to treat them like like the straight guys already treat women yeah that's what it is and when you take a look at how so much of that fear exists it comes from a place of you know i i i that I need to make this about me in order to try to understand it. I don't, I don't care like that. Like, I don't care if, if, if I just don't care. Like, that's what my problem is. Like if you're, if you're LGBTQ2S plus, it doesn't involve me. And so it doesn't involve me, but so many people can't wrap their head around the, the notion. I mean, we're having huge issues in Alberta right now with the, all of the, fear-mongering around trans stuff and it's just like we've had the same issues here in ontario we've had a uh york uh catholic district school board which is um a, a school board just lit literally just north of toronto uh they voted not to raise the the pride flag during pride month um they're like i think they're the only board catholic board so far in the province to have not voted to do this that year this year um but it it gets it, it it's it started it's kind of started up a conversation where like why do we fund the catholic school boards here in ontario at this point because every other you know it, it we're not going well, down that road school, that, 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 does, uh, does Alberta have elected school boards uh, the same out there i'm really showing my ignorance we do yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're very very separate on board. any of these issues yeah <laughs> it, the, the Boards are, as we said earlier, they're a way for right-wing people to get an elected office easily or relatively easily. Um, uh, so once they're in there, the only reason they're there is to make statements about issues that are no concern of theirs. And school boards have no business trying to legislate on, on issues of sexuality and gender identity, but they have that platform. So that's what, you know, why else would they be there? Because they're certainly not there because they want to talk about school board budgets, which is you know, actually the job. Uh, oh, it's incredibly frustrating. But, I mean, we should maybe, I mean, uh, my time is running up. I just say all our time is running. We shouldn't go on. We could talk forever. I'm sure about that. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely good at that. But I thought maybe the way to sort of bring this to a close is, you know, with the new, well, it's not a new government, but the, 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 the return of the existing government. I mean, what, what's next for Alberta with, with, uh, you know, now, what used to be a, a progressive conservative government now being very much a pretty far right uh, conservative form of conservatism um, beyond the kind of you know reform and uh, uh, 
you know, the, even that old school, which used to be held up as a bugbear in Ontario, was like, you know, the web reform and the Alliance and those guys. Well, now we've gone far, far beyond that. What, what's the impact? What's, what's, what's going to be the outcome of this election uh, for Albertans? Well, that's fascinating thing is there's absolutely no way to know. I mean, uh, as I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of people who are questioning how long Danielle Smith's going to be able to survive as premier. Whoever follows her is then going to largely determine the the direction of things. But at the end of the day, I think the the big takeaways for the province of Alberta, and we've we, we've we've seen it in the last week already. Daniel Smith announced um, that she would not in any way cooperate or, or engage in any conversations about transitioning uh, Alberta's oil and gas. It's happening. Like, or, or those jobs. We've got robot trucks. Like we've got giant robot trucks up in the oil sands that do all the driving now. It's all centralized. It's all automated. There's only more automation coming. Like this notion that we're somehow going to be able to stop global economic trends and not get laid to waste is is absolutely ridiculous. But that's the notion and that's the platform that the, mm -hmm. the provincial government is currently pursuing. And I think that, you know, the the hope that I have in this I remember when Kenny was elected and it was actually to go back to the beginning. The reason why I was dumb enough to run for election in 2019 was because I could read the room and see where Kenny was going to be taking things. Um, and I felt like I had to try to do something about that. Um, it's only going to get worse because Smith continues to embolden the, the very worst fears and insecurities of Albertans. She only continues to throw fuel on that fire. She refuses to acknowledge any substantive part of Canadian history. Um, and the, the, the hope that I have though, to bring it back there, when Kenny was elected, boy, the creative showed up. I mean, the, the quality of satire, the quality of, content and graphic design and 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 some of my favorite t-shirts that i own are from like the first six months of the kenny government because the creatives showed up they kind of petered out a little bit though and so i'm hoping that what people will do a is get that creative again and more so because god knows there's an embarrassment an embarrassment of riches to work with um but also recognize I think that we need to have more conversations about what it means to be privileged. And this kind of goes to what you were talking about, you were talking about, <laughs> screen, um, where you were talking about the measure, you know, sort of, I'll paraphrase with a quote that I use all the time, but the measure of any society is how they take care of their weak and their infirm. And the only way that those people get taken care of is if people with privilege who have the ability to choose whether or not they're going to get fucked decide, you know what, I'm going to line up with the people that are getting fucked for a little bit because I can make that choice. And I think that that's, I'm already seeing like after the election, we had a lot of people go, I'm out. And there were some voices that said, you know, but if you leave though, all of the people who can't won't have anybody to have their backs. And I think that there's a bigger conversation that's just in its very infancy um, that's starting to go, hey, you know what? 
there's a lot of people who have enjoyed a lot of privilege for a very long time. And I think that there's a lot of people who are coming to the realization that you will be defined. Your, your legacy as a human being, your, your family will be defined by how you choose to utilize that privilege. And I, I hope I, to do that. I find it, I find your, your, your remarks interesting. This is suitable, I guess, for the end of this, this episode. The, the original reason why I, re, I reached out to you to kind of do this was like here in the 905, uh, Jason Kenny put up a bunch of posters in our bus shelters and in the subways and, and all and all, whatnot advertising. You can sell your house here in the 905 in Toronto and move out to Alberta and you can sell your condo or your little con- townhouse and you can get a big sprawling t- you know, two car garage, pick white pick a fence in the, in the whole backyard um, in, in Calgary and in, in Edmonton or, or Lethbridge or any, any, any place in, Al- in Alberta. And it, it seems to have worked because there are people who are taking the Alberta, the Alberta people up on that offer to buy, buy their house. And we're seeing this exodus from Ontario. I thought that if Rachel Notley had won, basically that exodus would be like the gas pedal would be stuffed on that exodus and people would just pick up all the progressives who had money in Toronto and 905, would just pick up and leave to go to Alberta. I'd be curious to know if that's going to stay the same now because I think the Danielle Smith victory might, I don't think it's going to stop it, but I think it might just, it's not going to pick up speed. I'm curious to know, I guess what it comes down to is like the, the people leaving here aren't, they are progressives. They are people with money, education, um, tip, very urbanized who are leaving the 905, going to Alberta. How, how do you see that maybe changing the dynamic of Alberta politics in the long run? Because uh, I get the feeling that this, 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 this exodus from the 905 to Alberta isn't a temporary one. I hope not. Sincerely, I, I hope not. I hope that, I mean, y'all can keep your dicks. Like the, <laughs> Thanks. You, know, you can have them. But I, I do hope that, I mean, I, I temper this with the concern that you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people who are doing a lot of really gross real estate investment right now, and it's driving rental yeah, that's, prices. that's possible as well. The roof, yeah. uh, cough, Vancouver, cough. But um, I I do hope that we do see more people who are of a more progressive bent who who come to this province because as much as we do have a little bit of a smith problem um it's it's a big problem uh a we're going to need the help to fix it and b alberta is a province that has been defined uh by people who move here for better or for worse um, and I think that we've seen some of the, the worst, um, but I still believe that there's a, a great deal of, of opportunity for, for the better. And I think that if somebody is trying to make the decision, uh, and they're, they're not horrible people of whether or not they should move to Alberta, um, we have great mountains, uh, we've got all of the things. And if, if y'all have never had a Chinook. It's game changer. Let me tell you, <laughs> 10 degrees in February, 
That's delightful. And we don't have the wet cold that I keep hearing about in Ontario. <laughs> like apparently Ontario, it's 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 a wet cold. It gets into your bones. I'm not sure what that means. We just have cold, cold, and then come, we get come here, come here and find out, and you'll be <laughs> jaded and miserable like the rest of us. But I do think I, that there's there's a very real. Uh, I hope Smith doesn't screw it up because one of two things is going to happen. Um, we will see people recognizing the potential that, that Alberta has to offer. And there's lots, don't get me wrong. Uh, and I think that if people come here, that potential can for sure be built upon. Or all of the young people in Alberta are going to go, oh, hell no. And they're going to move to Ontario and you guys can clean up. They can't afford to move to Ontario, trust me. It's a van thing now. They get these vans and they like live in the vans and they park in a down by the river and do Chris Farley sketches. But uh, it's like a whole culture now. I think yeah, we should all just buy we should all just buy vans. Maybe I'll just get a van this summer and come out to Alberta. That sounds like the way to go. It's delightful. Um, I think both in the good and the bad. Uh, uh, I think politically Ontario is not as far behind Alberta in terms of uh, the brewing underbelly of far right politics that is currently going on that I fear is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you know, the Doug Ford is actually just the, just the start of this thing. Um, and actually ironically kind of a moderate um, and a guy with no discernible principles whatsoever, other than wanting to be premier, but behind him are the ranks of, crazy people with eyes stare in different directions that um, I fear are, are, are coming once he's gone. Um, but, um, but also in, 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 in the good in that um, in an Alberta like and Ontario and all the provinces in Canada have so much potential um, when we get our acts together uh, and put our minds to it. Uh, it just takes an awful lot to uh, get that to actually happen sometimes. What, uh, I, what boy, I took I away from what I, it now more than than almost at any other point in in history for people to for the people who want positive change to get up and make it happen. What I took away from this conversation is the east west divide is bullshit. It's an urban rural divide. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, it's proof that the what you're being fed in the in the media of oh, you know Alberta Ontario, we you know we're just we don't see eye to eye. I disagree. I think there's the our politics are so similar ultimately that it is right now we're facing an urban rural divide, not an east west divide in this country. And once again, our politicians at the provincial and federal levels are the last ones to figure this out. Um, but you know what, folks, whether you're listening to this in Calgary or if you're listening to this in Mississauga, keep that in mind. You know, the, the we're gonna have that, that, that tour of Canada in a bus. I have a vision. <laughs> we're gonna get a, we're gonna get an RV and we're gonna go like yeah, let's do that. We're gonna book it across the across the west. It'll take us like seven days to get out of Ontario, but once we do, we're booking it. We're booking it for those Rockies. I'm gonna fly to Winnipeg first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say let's call it a let's call it a uh, a day there and. uh it's been it's been a fun chat, Nate. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Well, thank you for having us. I don't I don't know where, where we're putting this, but wherever it shows thanks up. Thanks for teaming up. Hey, it's it. it ours. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is uh, this is what I guess new media is all about is 
doing things differently and, and, and having actual conversations with people actually on the ground instead of behind a desk in the CTV newsroom. So um, it's been fun. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks. And we'll do it again. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.